I grew up essentially as a greedy person in a generous home. You can see it's almost, God almost had to use an army of mentors. But wow, what an incredible blessing it was that he brought those men in my life. Life is like a dot and that's, that's where we're living. But there is a line. It extends a little bit backwards, but it extends infinitely forward. Of course, we have to live to some degree in light of the dot, but we don't live for the dot. We live for the line. Physical poverty issues are very close to his heart, and we are seeing advances in every area. I mean, some, some breathtaking advances. This attracts capital as well. Strong leadership, clear vision, and extraordinary momentum. Those three things attract capital, no matter what. A business, a ministry, a church. Well, hello, David. Welcome to the ECFA podcast. It's a joy to be here. Thank you. Well, it's a joy to have you, and um, you're obviously no stranger to the ECFA community. You're the past president of the National Christian Foundation and president emeritus. You've served on the ECFA board, and you've served as chair. And I was just telling you uh, what we're going to do today. This is the Behind the Seal podcast. We're going behind the scenes. Okay. We're basically going to just press play and let other people listen to some of the great conversations that we already have. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to learning from you today. Super. Well, this will be fun. Let's go. Good. All right. Well, um, I will say, David, um, you already know this. Uh, you have just impacted me deeply and my leadership. Mm -hmm. You've been such a blessing to ECFA. We'll get to some of that in a moment, but I want to start with... Uh, just a little bit of your background, too, uh, for those who maybe don't know you as well. Let's go behind the scenes a little bit uh, into your story as a, a tax attorney. You know, you're, you've been a board member on several organizations, as we shared, the president of National Christian Foundation. Uh, and most importantly, I know you're, you're a proud Texan, right? <laughs> so Absolutely. <laughs> these are all kind of the outcomes of what we see. But yeah, just give us a little bit of that behind the scenes and uh, what were some of the experiences that God put into your life to help prepare for some of the these great service opportunities that you have today? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Um, so uh, let's, I'll go back probably further than you want me to, but... Uh, let's go all the way. <laughs> uh, the context is important. So I grew up in uh, a Southern Baptist, and uh, one thing the Baptists do is they take uh, spiritual gift tests. Mm because they, they want to plug everybody into the right place. So when I was in high school and college, I took several of those. And I consistently had mercy and giving as the lowest rated gifts in my spiritual gift tests. Wow. And so, so my wife would tell you that I've advanced tremendously in one of those two over my lifetime. Uh, so I'm, I still struggle with mercy, uh, but the giving side of things is obviously, uh, it's really my life calling. And so... Uh, it's probably important that I start to raise my game with regards to uh, being generous. I, I, I guess I'll also mention that uh, I grew up essentially um, as a greedy person in a generous home. Mm. Uh, my parents are, are extraordinarily generous, and as those spiritual gift tests would attest, uh, that was not an important part of my life at all growing up. Uh, in fact, I actually wanted to, I would have preferred to have been rich than generous as I was growing up. Mm. Um, and so, um, 
So because of that uh, reality, the only way that God could have possibly, uh, and I'm sure he has a tremendous sense of humor, uh, moved me into this world, it had to have been a dramatic occurrence. Uh, yes. It wasn't just a slow change. And, you know, okay. somebody said, uh, you know, that you can tell the trajectory of someone's life by the friends they keep and the books they read. Mm. Um, and uh, that certainly was true of me. Um, and so um, after I graduated from law school, was practicing law for four or five years, I, uh, um, I, I crossed paths with uh, a man who um, God used to dramatically change my life. Um, and he's been my mentor ever since. Uh, that was uh, in 1991 uh, when I met him. And uh, in 1992, uh, we, we, we joined forces together to create a foundation that's just like NCF. We didn't know NCF existed at okay. the time. Okay. And um, on the first week on the job, so to speak, he put Money, Possessions, and Eternity in my hands, a book by Randy Alcorn. And he said, you have to own this book cover to cover, study it until it's a part of who you are. Now, uh, I never read anything um, or really even heard most of what was in that book. So I was transformed, frankly, mm -hmm. um, through the reading of that book. And um, I also, though, have to admit another book that was important to me early on uh, was the book Halftime. Uh, so I kind of went into Halftime in my early 30s which is when this happened. And so someone actually gave me the halftime book so that I wouldn't quit and go back <laughs> as opposed to go in. Yeah. And so, yep. uh, so reading that, that book, I probably read that about 18 months, a year to 18 months into this transition because I was not going to make it. Uh, I just, I wasn't spiritually mature enough. Um, and, uh, I was gonna, I was going to go back home to Texas and continue on what I thought was the, trajectory and then reading that book uh it so those two books i mean I, I i wouldn't be here today for sure if it wasn't for the combination of those two books and the influence of greg sperry who is the guy that uh, has been my mentor um yeah and what was and, it about uh, yeah what was it about greg that really drew you in gosh. you know as a mentor i'm sure that that could well, be a whole podcast episode of its own but yeah. So first of all i guess two things and really they were kind of the two things that i needed to become uh, he was an extraordinarily spiritually mature person, and he embraced the message of generosity. And so God basically put him in my life to help grow me in both of those arenas. And, um, and he's still doing that today. I mean, we, we communicate weekly and have since 1992. And so, uh, mm. and that, that was pre NCF days. Um, <clears throat> And so another person that God brought into my life was Terry Parker, who's the founder of NCF. Uh, Greg and I met Terry probably about two or three years into our journey together. Um, and then that's another relationship, another mentor that just changed the trajectory, eventually changed the trajectory of my life. Because just a few years later, Terry asked if I would move to Atlanta and uh, become the first president of NCF. And, uh, and yet, and, so one of the first people that I brought with me was Greg Sperry. So, <laughs> so really the three of us, uh, you know, in, I guess this was the late uh, 1990s, um, uh, really banded together uh, as kind of three strands. We all had unique 
um, giftedness and, um, but really I was the big beneficiary because I, of, of those three guys, I'm the baby of the group. And, uh, and they just took me under their wings, uh, and just, it's amazing that they put up with me the way they did. Um, but they, they, they changed my life. Those two men. Yeah. I can relate to that, uh, yeah. just in so many ways. And yeah, I do want to talk about NCF and just the way that God has used that very special ministry. And uh, But I do want to go back to something too, David, that you said, which was you grew up uh, in a home where generosity was modeled. Was that something that, how much do you think you realized that growing up? Or was it once you entered some of these mentoring relationships that you look back on the family that you were part of? Um, was that something that came later? Or do you think you realized that as you were growing up that you just wanted to do something different? Well, both. Uh, I mean, so it it was. I mean, it, anyone that knew my family growing up knew that I lived in a family that was led by very, very generous people. Um, ooh, I get emotional. Mm. And people that knew me when I was growing up probably wondered, "Are you a part of that family?" <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Um, but uh, no, the generosity of my parents was blatant. I mean, not just with their children, but with everybody they came across. They were just instinctively generous people. Um, and uh, I mean, I don't think that I kind of revolted against that at all because I was the recipient of a lot of that generosity. Mm. It's just that I was not mature enough to to, to realize how generosity can be an incredibly joyful center of your life. Yes. And so it was really kind of the governing value of my parents was generosity in one way or another. And, um, but yeah, it took uh, someone other than my parents to show me what they had been showing me all along. It seems like that you know they were planting those seeds, and we can never control. Oh. We can never control when the harvest comes. Um, but they were That's so correct. faithful. Yep. And they are both still living, and they're both still extravagantly generous. It's never stopped. It just it's never stopped. Yeah, <laughs> well, we'll talk about that too. I, I do want to ask some questions around okay. that because of the work that you do with so many very generous people. Um, and yeah. before we get back to National Christian Foundation, I think one other part of your story that I just wanted to ask about too is uh like what what made you pursue the tax law aspect or going into that because you know eventually god would use that in some significant ways in ministry but what was yeah what was kind of your initial motivation for that leading well actually i wasn't a tax lawyer until i got until greg sperry got a hold of me so i was i did civil i did civil litigation uh courtroom work from even before I passed the bar, basically until I met Greg. And uh, Greg basically challenged me, though, uh, to use my legal inclinations mm-hmm. for kingdom mm-hmm. purposes. That was what he challenged me to do. And he had made the exact same transition from uh, civil litigation into tax. Okay, um, I, w- I had no interest in tax. Um, 
I was one of those fortunate law school students that was in law school taking income tax in 1986 when the law changed <laughs> right in the middle of our class. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I I think that the law, Baylor Law School was very generous to me with regards to the fact they let me pass my tax classes, and so. Uh, <laughs> So you know what the issue of uh, understanding tax law and being a tax attorney that that would have never happened apart from a kingdom aspect to it. God mm-hmm. could I, that was only something God could plug in. That was not something I was naturally going to be. Okay. A part okay. of. Yeah. Well, no. So yeah, let's let's go there. And as far as uh, you've you've done a good job, kind of helping us get to that point in your life where. The, the formation of the National Christian Foundation, NCF, came around. Tell us, um, as you three were kind of looking at the landscape, what, what exactly, what problem were you trying to solve, and uh, how did you okay. see NCF really playing such a key part in that? Well, I want to make sure that we're clear. So NCF is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year. So by the time that Greg and I got found our way to NCF, it had already been in existence for 15 years. Okay, good. It yep. had just there had just never been a, a president of the organization. Really, there was only one full time employee at that time uh, after 15 years, and then three ladies that were working part time helping uh, send the grant checks out by using Rolodex. Those giant Rolodexes is how we uh, managed the grant making back then. Um, and so when I went to work for NCF, I basically had these four ladies as my bosses. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And so, yep. <laughs> and if you'd been there, you would have thought, yeah, they absolutely are your boss. But I just want to make sure. So when, when Greg and I Thank came you. into the NCF yep. world, it had been in existence for quite a while. Um, and also, uh, Larry Burkett and Ron Blue were the other founders, Terry and Larry and Ron. And so they were really my bosses when I started and uh, I don't know if you ever have had a chance to spend time with Larry Burkett when he was alive or Ron Blue, but the men that God put in my life were just, <laughs> so you can see it's almost, God almost had to use an army of mentors uh, <laughs> to, to get me where he wanted me to be. But wow, what an incredible blessing it was that he brought those men in my life. Uh, mm, mm. Just it's almost dumbfounding. Yeah, very. But thankful. then, yeah, you, you, so you in, certainly yeah. played that role too, though, and being being obedient, you know, and being humble to receive that mentorship. So, Whew, boy, uh, absolutely incredible. Um, so NCF, um, you said, you know, how did it? Uh, yeah, really. I guess as you were coming in, yeah, as you were coming into, I guess, yeah, the organization had already had a, a good legacy and founding, but as you all were coming in and uh, taking the organization into a new season, yeah, what yeah. what problems were you seeing around, and um, how did the Lord use NCF for that? Well, it, it's it's not really even that complicated. I mean, NCF, uh, especially, well, actually, from its founding until today, I mean, it's, I mean, we're trying to make it easier for people to be generous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, it's not that, it's not that complicated, and there's a whole myriad of ways that we do that. Um, but uh, it's just, uh, you know, people tend to do more of things that are easier to do. So we make it easier for people to be generous, so they're more generous. But beyond that, though, we've also uh, started to expand into other things as well. Still under that umbrella, I would say, where we started to really think through how can we help people give things that they would never think about giving. Uh, and so uh, most people give 
just write a check. Um, and unfortunately, from a tax standpoint, it's the least wise way to give if you have other things that you can give. And most people just don't think about giving appreciated things. Um, mm-hmm. But it's more tax advantageous to do that. And so we created, we started to build uh, a subject matter expertise um, in helping people give away things other than cash. And so it's uh, been a huge blessing. I would say that, uh, you know, the current value will be much greater than this, but uh, the value of these types of assets that have come into NCF, the non-cash, non-stock assets, it's over $3 billion today. Wow. Uh, wow. And the market value is far, far beyond $3 billion. Because um, as you understand, we usually take them in more cost basis. Uh, because the people that give these extraordinarily valuable things, they can't, they can't even deduct it. Um, they, don't, they don't have the income to even deduct all of it. And so, um, which is also a very unusual thing. Um, but nevertheless, it's the t- most tax-wise thing to do. So anyway, we've created a, an extraordinary team of people that uh, are most of whom are uh, in Georgia where the headquarters is that um, really bless people by helping make it as easy as you can to give very, very complex things. Uh, In addition to that, we also started to, uh, I would say almost kind of franchise NCF and so, uh, and really create a local presence. Uh, Terry Parker was the first, what we call a relationship manager. Okay. Um, And uh, so for the first 15 years, even though Terry was practicing law full time uh, on as a side gig, he would have relationships with the handful of families that NCF was serving. And so today there are now over 70 uh, relationship managers. And because Terry is so extraordinarily relational, um, that was a value we wanted to continue. And we decided, you know, the best way to do that is locally. And so we now have about uh, about 30 offices around the country where we now can be very close um, relationally. And also that's a strategic move that's been extraordinary for NCF. And then we've also discovered as we've done that, that there's peer-to-peer engagement that happens at the local level in a way that had never happened before. So those are just some examples of how I'd say that, that, that there were problems that we solved and then opportunities that we seized in this process and for the most part, it was a combination of, you know, hiring extraordinary people um, into NCF and then just listening to these extraordinarily generous people and what they needed. And so we just matched those two things together and, and God has blessed it. Yes. He has. It has been a huge blessing, um, such a great resource for people who want to be generous. And you've talked about kind of from a technical standpoint or um, administratively making it easy for people to be generous. But I also wanted to ask you, too, because I've heard you talk about this before, but just kind of your overall theology, <laughs> if you will, of generous giving and um, through all these experiences that God has blessed you with. Um, tell us about that. And how has that changed over time uh, as you've continued to have this role there at NCF, that theology of giving? Wow. Okay. Um, we go deep so on one this of the podcast. Things, <laughs> yeah. So one of the things that we discovered pretty early on was that um, 
the families that we worked with asked and answered three questions over and over. And we and you do and I do as well with regards to generosity. And those three questions are, why should I be generous? How am I going to do that? Where should I give? Um, and we really want to help people gain a deeper and deeper understanding of all three of those questions. Um, so that's kind of the framework of the theology. You know, I mentioned that uh, I read Money, Possessions, and Eternity. If you wanted to understand my theology of generosity, you just go pick up that book and read it. Uh, it's it's pretty much all right there. Uh, Randy, in later years, wrote The Treasure Principle as well, which was kind of a, an addendum to Money, Possessions, and Eternity. Um, but um, so my theology is really centered around those three questions. So in addition to NCF, I've been very involved as a founder of Generous Giving. And that was about 20 years ago because we realized that the why question was not being effectively asked or answered, mm. uh, both in the church, little C and big C. Uh, so, um, and interesting enough, the why question is more of an exponential question. The how and where questions are more arithmetic as far as how they increase in people's giving. And so, um, and yeah, so what, do you, very, very, what do you mean by that on, in terms of exponential? Yeah. So people that, uh, so if, 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 if you become more and more effective and strategic in how you do your giving, so in other words, it gets easier and easier, you will incrementally increase your giving. Okay. Yep. If you experience greater joy in where you're giving. Uh, so if you become more strategic um, this is where ECFA comes into play, and we can talk mm -hmm. about that in a minute. Um, you will incrementally increase your giving, but if you if you address the why question, it's a it's the heart question, uh, and it will dramatically change mm -hmm. your giving. You could double, triple, you could start giving in ways that dwarf the giving that you did in the past because of the why question. Mm. Yeah, and is there? Um putting you on the spot here a little bit and you don't have to name names or anything like that, but is there a story that you can think of, of somebody who really dialed into that why question uh, and God really just uh, brought about exponential change in, in the way they, they, they would give? You know, first of all, I've never met anyone who didn't dial mm. into that question and become an extravagant giver. Because our reflex, it's kind of like me when I was growing up, my, our reflex is not to be extravagantly generous. That's just not our, our normal position. Uh, and so something has to <clears throat> influence us to cause us to go there. And it's different for different people. Uh, some people are attracted by the joy. Some people are attracted by the eternal nature of what the giving, and some people are attracted by the dangers of wealth and avoiding mm. the dangers of wealth. Sure. So, and in in the scriptures, from a theological standpoint, there are there's a multifaceted array of motivations that uh, that would cause one to to really consider generosity much more significantly than they would before they encountered those teachings in the scriptures. Um, if that, if I'm tracking with your question, no, that's perfect. So, and I, I like your three questions a lot. So again, it was why, how, and where. The why, how, and that's where. right. Okay, yeah, and you were alluding a little bit to the where, the aspect of ECFA, and tell us about, uh, um, you know, how you first became involved and what attracted you to serving in a board capacity and in other ways with 
all of these other busy <laughs> leadership positions and commitments that you had. What was it about ECFA that attracted you? Well, um, ECFA is, is a highly strategic. In our world, we, we consider ECFA to be a part of the generosity movement. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I, I know that might be a little different than the technicians think of it. But um, if the where question can't be answered well by a giver, it will stunt their giving. It will diminish their joy. So it has long-term implications in this world and the next world. And of course, one of the things that people instinctively should look for is the degree of trust they have and transparency that exists in the organizations that they support. And so an organization, if, if I'm giving to an organization and my trust for that organization continues to move up, I will continue to give more to that organization. In, ECFA actually is a massive fundraising organization <laughs> because it um, uh, its members basically uh, covenant to be transparent and trusting. Uh, and so that attracts capital um, from givers. You know, it's, it's, it's a part of uh, making a wise investment. Um, you if you couldn't see uh, the com a company's financial statements or pro forma, just a company, you probably wouldn't invest in it. If you couldn't see anything historical about them, if they weren't transparent, you probably wouldn't invest in it. Now, there's some exceptions to that rule, but I think they're crazy. Um, in the ECFA world, we, we basically create, we have standards that these organizations comply with, which makes, which causes them to be transparent, which generates trust. When you generate trust in, in an investor, so to speak, that investor will continue to invest. Uh, so ECFA is a critical part of the where question. Um, like generous giving is a critical part of the why, and NCF really now hits all three of those questions to some degree. Mm -hmm. If we didn't have ECFA, it'd be much more difficult. We serve many givers who will not make a gift um, to an organization if it's not an ECFA member. Uh, so some of the givers we serve, I mean, they put that trust transparency thing extremely high on the list. That was so well said. Uh, thank you. And it's really a privilege, you know, for us to get to play that part and to be in that role. And speaking of stewardship, oh, yeah. I mean, we, we just take even the role that God has blessed ECFA and in this community. Uh, I mean, you've seen it on the board. I mean, we just steward yes. that responsibility just to, to the best, of, or we were, we steward that role to the best of our ability here. Yeah. I just, we just had a, 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 a committee meeting last week, an mm -hmm. ECFA committee meeting of, of a new thing that we're working on. And I, I hung up from that call and I, and I do this every time I'm at an ECFA board meeting, the wisdom uh, and discernment of these board members. It's amazing. Um, and the way they fit together. So anyway, it's uh I've learned far more being on the ECFA board than any value I may have added. So, um, and I know that you feel the same way when you I get do. off these calls. It's like, boy, I'm so thankful. Um, but it's because the people that are on that board and the people that work at ECFA, um, it's a passion. It's a kingdom passion because we want to be above reproach as 
as best we can. And we got to have people around us, mentors like the people that I mentioned, friends um, that will keep us in between the guardrails. And ECFA is a is really a friend to those that are a member and because they help keep the organizations between guardrails that they might not even think about uh, left mm-hmm. to themselves. Um, not negatively, it's just, just wouldn't think about it. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And uh, I just appreciate all that you've shared around that and ECFA's mission and trust and might come back to that in, in a minute. But the other thing I wanted to, while I have this opportunity to visit with you, like I said, as we got the call started. I, I learned something new from you every time that, uh, that we get together. <laughs> I'm serious. And, uh, you need to get out more, Michael. I, I know you laugh. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> but I think there's others who are going to be tuning in who will feel that way as well. And David, you have, just because of the role of um, NCF and all the relationships, like you mentioned, you have such a great pulse on what's happening uh, in the world. And you talk with many you know, givers. And so I just wanted to ask, to like what what are some of the the trends that you're seeing some things that are on the hearts and minds of givers that those who are listening to this podcast might be interested in hearing well <clears throat> wow trends well obviously there are there are economic trends that are relevant uh, it's been an extraordinary decade uh, i believe that um, when god allows uh, his followers to gain wealth. He does that primarily to meet their needs and to advance his kingdom. And over the last 10 years, he has been extravagantly generous uh, mm-hmm. with his children. Uh, and I think that's because, uh, as I say, as C.S. Lewis said, Aslan is on the move. Mm-hmm. Um, there are, and I know that in each of our personal pockets, there's difficulties and struggles. And um, obviously the world is becoming a more difficult place in many ways. And we're seeing that in spades, but uh, God actually ramps up his presence and the gospel spreads like wildfire in situations like the world is experiencing today. And on top of that, um, there are milestones that the church has been working on for 2,000 years that are coming close to reality, Um, things that are close to the heart of God, his gospel, even physical poverty issues are very close to his heart. And we are seeing advances in every area. I mean, some some breathtaking advances. Mm. And so we are, uh, and this attracts this attracts capital as well. Um, you know, the strong leadership, clear vision, and extraordinary momentum. Those three things attract capital, no matter what. A business, a ministry, a church. If you have those three things, and of course, collaboration in the ministry world also is like a booster, if yes. you will. Yes. And we're just seeing those four things happen in extraordinary ways that I, I have not seen and I mean, I've been in this world, I guess, since 1992. What we're seeing today is just breathtaking, uh, mm. absolutely breathtaking. So we are on the verge of every one of the 12,000 people groups in the world having the gospel. We're right there. We're just a couple of years away wow. from that happening. Um, we are on the verge of every, all 7,000 plus languages having scripture in that native language. 
we are right on the cusp of that happening. Uh, and when we're also, there are also poverty things that are just, we're, over, we're seeing uh, clean water, uh, the number of people without clean water shrinking, the number of people, um, obviously COVID really gave us a hit on this, but those who are in extreme poverty is shrinking. Um, all of these things are close to the heart of God. And I think he kind of sees them all mixed up in one big thing. Uh, we look at them kind of strategically sliced up. I think he just sees it as one big thing. And the bottom line is he's on the move. He's just, it, it's, it's incredible uh, where we are. We're living in a time, uh, I was talking with somebody last week, um, that the person that's going to translate the last language is probably in college right now. Wow. Um, I mean, they're right, we're right there. Um, it's, and, and no other generation has ever been able to say that. The person that's going to take the gospel to the last unengaged people group, uh, they're, they're alive and they're ready to go right now. It's really good stewardship. It's generosity uh, of the resources. They're all gods, um, but that obedience through stewardship and generosity that's making those things possible. And a word that keeps coming back to me, David, as you've been sharing is uh, in your own personal life, this, this, um, this realization of eternity. And it sounds like in so many ways, what givers are really feeling and experiencing today is just this eternity mindset. So I wonder um, mm. just how can how can we continue to uh, this is a pastoral question, I guess, but how can we not how can we not lose sight of just that important value of eternity and in, in the busyness of all that we're doing? Like how do we keep that right front and center before us? Well I think uh, kind of having a, an ongoing vision of kind of where we are in this journey, if you will. Mm. So uh, it's impossible to be asked a question like that and not think about things that Randy Alcorn has taught me uh, mm. and and many others. But, uh, you know, so he, he describes it. Uh, and if we can keep this front and center, you know, it, you know, life is like a dot. And and that's that's where we're living. But there is a line. It extends a little bit backwards, but it extends infinitely forward. And so Randy encourages us, of course, we have to live to some degree in light of the dot, but we don't live for the dot. We live for the line. Um, mm. And so that is kind of what our mindset needs to be. Um, another way he describes it, he says that um, you, there's really two alternatives. You, every day, you are one day closer to your future home in eternity. It could be tomorrow you arrive there. For you, you've got a lot longer road than I do, uh, but, um, but it's very finite. Uh, and so every day we are either moving towards our treasure or away from our treasure. Mm. It depends on where our treasure is. If we're laying up treasure on earth, we're moving away from our treasure every day. And that's reason to despair. But if every day you're moving towards your treasure because you're extravagantly, provocatively laying up treasure in heaven, 
then there's joy. You're moving towards your treasure every day. Uh, so those are kind of two illustrations that uh, kind of stay on the forefront of my mind. Um, they're true. They're absolutely true. Um, and uh, man, it's it's a reason to wake up every morning uh, because uh, we can we can lay up treasure. And in doing that, uh, we bring Him glory. We experience joy, and others are transformed as well. It's it's just a deal you can't beat. You just can't beat mm. it. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a great way to put it. Those are some really yeah, those are some really helpful illustrations, David. I appreciate you sharing that. And um I want to come back to also I didn't I didn't tell you the, the I didn't tell you that I was gonna do this, but uh in the spirit <laughs> <laughs> this is so cool to see what the Holy Spirit is gonna do. Because uh you were sharing, David, about the impact of mentors uh in your mm-hmm. life. And as I think about you, I mean, I really consider you one of those for me and the relationship mm-hmm. we've been able to have and uh going behind the scenes for those who are listening to this podcast. I mean, you were the first board chair that I had here at ECFA. And so David, I I just want to honor you for that. Um you've taught me so much and uh I'm not a preacher either, but I, I have three <laughs> I have three T's, three takeaways. I tried to narrow it down. Uh, there's many, but from just my my relationship with you and your mentorship. Uh, so here they go. All right. Okay. <laughs> the, the first one is, uh, it's really possible to be both tough and tender, tough and mm. tender uh, in your leadership. The second T would be take time for your family and for your soul care as a leader. And then number three, which I don't know if I've done well today is, be to the point, T, to the point. You've taught me so much. This is the lawyer in me. I tend to use too many words. And so you've, on a really practical note, you've helped me get a little bit better about that. Just get to the point, Michael. So anyway, those are my, <laughs> those are my three T's of takeaways from my, my uh, relationship. Your mentorship would just mean so much to me. Well, you know, <laughs> there are some people that uh, it takes a lot of work to mentor them. And for others, it's kind of like riding a bike downhill with the wind at your back, and you would be the ladder, buddy. Let me tell you, um, your uh, your your capabilities and your leadership and your wisdom are way beyond your years. Um, and so, it's a joy uh, to have just been a little piece of that process for you. An honor, really, an honor. Well, thank you. All right. Well, David, I've just got. One other question, because uh, I know you got to run here, and we'll leave it on that note of from a board member's perspective, and we've talked mm. about trust. Um, and I just, yeah, I valued and really appreciated seeing you in the leadership role of board member, board chair at ECFA. Speak to the board members uh, who are listening as well, and uh, just the role of trust that they play guarding mm. the organization. Um what are what are some key aspects of lessons that you've learned, or maybe just a a takeaway that you would leave with board members who are listening on the importance of their role in trust? Well, I'll just mention one thing because um, there's that's a that is a big question. Um, we could actually spend an entire <laughs> uh, whatever podcast this talking about that. Um, but I would say one of them is uh, be vigilant. Um, it's kind. As, as a person who's been on lots of boards, it's, it is very easy to be a passive board member, um, to show up at the meetings, even to prepare for the meeting. But, you know, organizations are never stagnant. They are either 
gaining in such a way that they would gain trust or they're actually declining. Mm. Um, and so we have to stay very vigilant as board members and of course, as organizational leaders and as the staff members of an organization at, at every level, we have to be vigilant and to be godly organizations, organizations that glorify him. Um, and so as a board member, that would be the first thing that comes to my mind. Just, uh, it's better to get off of a board that you can't be vigilant on. You should, if you're going to be on a board, you, you should be vigilant. And so, um, because that's, that's kind of the job of the board. Uh, we want organizations to thrive, um, and, um, and glorify God. And so you can't, you can't do that passively. And that would be the first thing that comes to mind. Wow. Yep. We packed a lot in. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I echo that, uh, just the vigilance of, uh, I think that's a great place to leave it. Vigilance of board members and guarding trust for all of us yep. as givers, you know, we all, uh, need to be vigilant to what God's doing in the world, keeping that eternity perspective and, uh, like you said, each and every day, just moving closer and closer to that treasure that God has given. And I'm grateful for the role that you play, your leadership at NCF and that here at ECFA, we get to be a partner in that work. So David, thanks again. Uh, we've, we've learned so much as I said, we would <laughs> from our time with you. <laughs> thanks, Michael. It's an honor to be a part of it. All right. Appreciate it so much. <laughs>